0: be an eternally effective way to use my wish. Now her single wish will echo into eternity as unreached people hear the gospel for the first time as a result of her generosity. Because of that sort of generous giving, IMB is once again on firm financial ground. This year we are poised to begin sending more and more missionaries in the coming days, and I'm convinced our churches are ready to do that. Already this year, we sent out 193 new missionaries, with still more to come. I think about one such missionary, Abouk. She fled from her home country of South Sudan with her family when she was young. They landed in Amarillo, Texas. and God and His sovereignty connected them with First Baptist Church there, and that church is now sending her out on mission in partnership with the IMB. It is an awesome scene when the mission field becomes a mission force. That is what is happening through our cooperative work together among unreached peoples and places around the world. Thank you for the opportunity to partner together with you in this eternally important work. Thank you for praying, for giving, for sending people with the gospel to those who have never heard the gospel. Let's keep doing this work together so that God's fame will be made known among people who have never heard the name of Jesus.
1: Good morning. If you'll stand with us. Alone
2: in my sorrow and dead in my sin Lost without hope and no place to begin Your love made a way to let mercy come in When death was arrested my life began Oh, ash was redeemed, only you i
3: What a testimony to join together and sing this morning. If you're a follower of Jesus, then you've got a time in your life when you can look back and you can hang your hat on that moment that death was, death was arrested. If you're here this morning you're not a believer in Jesus, then today can be the day that you hang your hat on that, on that marker where you can say that, that death was arrested in your life and your life truly began today. We want to welcome you today. Glad that you're here worshiping our great God and Savior Jesus Christ on this first Sunday of Advent. We're delighted that you're with us today. If you're a guest, we'd love for you to tear off the side of the bulletin and fill that information out. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You can drop that in the offering plate or give it to a staff member when you leave today. Right now we're going to take a moment to greet each other. If you see someone you don't recognize, go say good morning and we'll continue worshiping together here in just a moment.
2: solid ground firm through the fiercest drought and storm what heights of love what depths of
1: Can you bow your heads with me, please? Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning, and we give thanks to you, Lord. It's days like these that we're reminded of your beauty that you created for us to experience, and your love that comes along with that. Because, Lord, we are absolutely nothing without you. We cannot do anything righteous without you, Lord. And it's you that we put all our hopes in. And our dreams upon, because without you, again, we are nothing. Lord, we thank you for coming and dying for us, taking all our sins upon you. And it's during this season that we reflect on the ultimate sacrifice that you gave for us, Lord. And we thank you. And Lord, we just pray that at this time of the service, as we give back a little of the many and the much that you've given us, that our offerings are acceptable and pleasing in your eyes, Lord. We just pray, Lord, that you'll forgive us for what we continually failed you in so many ways. We ask these things, Lord, in your most precious and holy of all names, Jesus. Amen. <coughs>
4: Give someone hope beyond their wildest dreams. What if I told you it's right there in your hands? In your hands. It's hard to believe. told you, you have the power to give someone hope far beyond their wildest dreams.
5: Good morning. Good morning. Uh, I look around and the, the, the sanctuary looks a little different today than it usually does, right? Yes, it does, Pastor BJ. It sure does. All right. So, what do we see? What do we see in, in here that we don't usually see in the, in the sanctuary? What, what do you see? Um, the candles. Are- the candles? All right. Anything else? Oh. Thank you. We have. Christmas trees, we have uh, lights up, we have wreaths, uh, we have candles, and it's that time of year where we think about what? I'm on. look, can you imagine a world with a rhetorical question? (laughs) Christmas. Christmas, there you go, Christmas, yes, Christmas. And the song that the choir just sang, give this Christmas away, um, well, here's just a small way that we can do this. Uh, I hope that some of you packed some boxes. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think there's a lot of boxes out front there, and, um, and Brooklyn just brought this one down to me. This one says it's for uh, a little girl that's two to four years old, and uh, I don't know what's in there. I hadn't opened it up. I don't know what's in there, but I imagine there's probably some things that this little girl can can use or maybe a toothbrush or something. There may be a little stuffed animal. There may be some things she can play with. Um, but I know this, that the little girl that gets this, uh, my, my guess is that she's going to be really, really excited to get this little box. In fact, for several years, uh, I've helped Put Some of these boxes together, my, my family and Hannah and, and, and Josh and Micah and Brooklyn this year have, have put some some of these boxes together. But I had something that happened really, it was really awesome this past summer. Okay? This past summer I went with a, a group from our church. We went to Ecuador. And um, Connor was with us and, and Mr. Mark and Miss Heather. And we went down to, to Ecuador. And the pastor that we worked with, he had a bunch of these boxes now, what's the pastor doing with a box that says a girl two to four years old, huh? That seems kind of weird, right? But he took the boxes and we would go visit families, go visit families that maybe had sick children. They couldn't bring them to church families that he knew needed to know about Jesus. And he takes this box and he gives them to the, to the children. They open it up and they enjoy it. They have a fun time with it. It's really excited. And he immediately then makes a connection begins to begin, uh, hopefully to begin a friendship with that family and invite them to church and tell them about Jesus. Because that's ultimately what we want to see happen. We give these gifts away and we want people not to just be excited about lights and candles, but to be excited about Jesus, to come to know Jesus. Now, to give this Christmas away, that's one way we can do that with these Operation Christmas Child shoeboxes. We also have a Lottie Moon Christmas offering, and that money goes to uh, missionaries that tell people about Jesus. Uh, There's so many ways we can give. I want us to do something, though. Now, I just have one box here, okay, in my hands, but it represents all the boxes that are back there in the back. It'll represent all the boxes that are packed all across the United States, okay? I want us to pray for these boxes. Can Can you pray with me about the people that will receive this box? Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for whoever it is that packed this shoebox, that bought the things that go in here and packed it and, um, and, and paid for the shipping and all the shoeboxes, everyone who, who put a little something in a shoebox. God, thank you that people are generous and, and willing to do that. Lord, I pray that you, wherever this goes, I don't know if it's going to a place that, that we may have been before, maybe go to a place I've never even heard of, but God, whoever receives this box, I pray that they will receive it with uh, gratitude, but more than that, that somehow, some way, the message of Jesus Christ gets to them and penetrates their heart. God, thank you for the opportunity to serve in this small way. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.
6: Let's stand once again as we continue singing.
3: remain standing as we share God's Word together this morning from Ephesians chapter 6. We continue through the armor of God in Ephesians chapter 6. I'll begin reading in verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, of peace father thank you for your word thank you for the opportunity to discuss it together lord may we make much of it in our lives and apply it correctly in jesus name we pray amen thank you be seated you all look lovely in your Christmassy red colors although i remember it being red and green not red and black so i'm not sure i'm not sure i'm not sure what happened there I did ask one young man who was sporting some red and black what thrift store he bought his jacket at. And so, uh, <laughs> oh me. Um, I want you to know what a blessing it is at 6 o'clock in the morning when my phone starts sending me notifications. Uh, now, as a pastor, there are certain times of the day that I'd rather not uh, not hear from from y'all. I love you, but, uh, but just 2 a.m. phone calls are never good. No one ever calls at 2 a.m. to say, Pastor, I just want you to know, I'm not even going to finish this because some wise guy will think about it at 2 (laughs) a.m. Not going there. But at 6 a.m., when my phone starts to go off and it's telling me that there's notifications coming across because people are reading the Bible together, that's a delight i 'm um, usually up around by six, and so I, I see where when when you guys have begun commenting and posting on this bible reading plan that we 're doing for the season of advent and I, I see that come through and, and what a what a pleasure it is for, for that to happen to know that people are, are opening the Bible together in the mornings in their own homes and their own quiet places and and spending time in the Word of God if you haven 't been able to be a part of that yet, I do, I do want you to know it. It's not too late. You're only three days behind. We started it on Friday. Uh, so there is, a, there is an opportunity for you to be a part of that. I've sent the email out twice. There the instructions are again if you want to be a part of that. Uh, I, it's, been, it's been great. And some of you guys have had some just remarkable thoughts that you've been able to put down on the, uh, on the discussion boards and everything. It's been a treat to be able to watch and, and, and sort of observe that. Uh, if you need the link, there it is again. You can zap that with your phone uh, if you'd like to, while we uh, while we carry on. But uh, but do uh, do take advantage of that. You do need an account with the U Bible folks so you can you can be part of that. You can do it in a browser or you can do it um, you can do it through your phone through the app or whatever you want to. So another thing I want to remind you about: we have a, a family that we're going to be providing some Christmas gifts for. It's a, it's a student in one of our educators' classrooms. They are. Uh, we do this from time to time, and, and sometimes, it, sometimes it doesn't necessarily work. We want to be careful when we help in, in benevolent situations that we don't create a sense of enabling, where we don't just foster a, a, an environment where we're propagating poverty. But, uh, but this is a family that's been well-vetted, and, and they have some legitimate needs. You'll find on the bulletin board right outside in the in the foyer, you'll find that there's, there's real needs on that board. There's no Xbox Ones for instance, that are being requested. There's none of that. You'll find, you'll find some just legitimate needs. If you want to grab one of those tags and just kind of and fulfill that need, that would be a fantastic way for you to help help give Christmas away, as, as we sang a little while ago. Um, that's out there on the board. Uh, when do those need to be back? Where's Daniel? Are they in here? I don't think they're in here. You uh, need to get those back in the next couple of weeks. So, uh, but, but that's out there if you'd like to, to be a part of that. Uh, we certainly want to make that available to you. We've been working our way through the armor of God, and I just want to kind of recap where we've, where we've come. We've talked about the fact that we are engaged in a very real battle. Paul deals with this. We've talked about the fact that, that our strength is limited. I love in Christ alone. We don't stand in our strength. We stand in the strength of Jesus. Uh, we also know that, that our strength is going to fail. We know that it's limited. We know that it will ultimately come to an end. And then Paul begins to help us piece together this armor. We talked about the fact that the foundational garment to our armor is the belt of truth. Everything that we stand on is based on truth. We don't stand on opinion. We don't stand on on, on feelings. We stand on truth, truth that's been made known to us from the word of God. Last week, we talked about the breastplate of righteousness, which is we are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. We have have a righteousness that we can't earn, that's been given to us. We don't don't put on our own self-righteousness, even though that is our tendency. We have a tendency to put on our own self-righteousness thinking that we've accomplished something that we we're worthwhile and and our efforts and our our labors are, are are enough for for what we need but we actually understand that all of our righteous acts from ourselves are are terribly inadequate when compared to the righteousness that's necessary to be in a right place with God and so instead God gives us his righteousness and we are to put that righteousness on as a breastplate Today we move forward one, one more step in our preparation, one more step in our armor as we put on our shoes. We put on our shoes. Now, I don't see any ladies that are sporting a sandal like this today. If you are, I, I, probably other ladies have already judged you. So, <laughs> uh, and if you're a fellow who's wearing a shoe like this, well, just keep it to yourself. This is what's called a caligae, a caligae, which is, which, is uh, which is the armor that a Roman centurion would wear on his foot. You'll notice some certain particular characteristics about it. This one's a little old, so I think the shoelaces have probably rotted off of it. Uh, it's probably seen its fair share of battles. While these caligays may not have been as technologically as advanced in as maybe today's combat boots, today's shoes, uh, perhaps are. The fact of the matter is is that shoes have always been an important part of the soldier's uniform. You may remember when Forrest and Bubba landed in Vietnam and they met, uh, they met Lieutenant Dan. I, don't, I watched that again. I don't remember how bad the language was in that clip. Lieutenant Dan wasn't completely uh, G-rated when he began to speak, but Lieutenant Dan told Forrest and Bubba he had two rules in the platoon. One, take care of your feet, and then two, try not to do anything stupid like get yourself killed. Those are the two rules that, that they had. Take care of your feet. The Roman combat boot, the caligae, was actually designed with some purpose in mind. It was designed to allow airflow to go through the shoe to, prever- to prevent certain unpleasantries that may affect the foot, like something called trench foot or, or, or athlete's foot, those sort of things. It, just imagine a whole platoon full of soldiers with nasty feet like that. Sometimes wealthy Romans would would hire slaves, or not hire, would bring slaves with them, and their job was to take off these these outside shoes and put on sandals that they would wear inside their homes and things like that. Romans rarely wore socks except for when they lived in cold climates or worked in cold climates like when Rome began to advance to the north into Germany or Britain. And and this caligae would frequently have what are called hobnails installed in the sole of the the, the shoe, and you may think, if you're thinking about, you know, like, like uh, crampons that a mountain climber might put onto his boot that allows him to grip when he's on ice or something like that, think something like that except more permanently installed. And these, these hobnails would, would provide better traction to the soldier on the battlefield. So that, this, when Paul is saying, put on the shoes of readiness for the gospel feast," this is what he has in mind. This is what he is thinking about. So what do we think about, what does this mean for us when we begin to think about the shoes of readiness? The, the first thing we need to recognize about this is that the centurion's shoe, the caligae, had both offensive and defensive responsibilities. It had Both offenses and defensive responsibilities. As a defensive dynamic of the armor, the shoe would be necessary for standing one's ground. In hand to hand combat, which is the frequent way that that these battles would be fought, the soldier's footing would be absolutely essential if he was going to have any opportunity to overpower the enemy. Likewise, the shoe protected the soldier's foot from any kind of injury that might be due to debris on the terrain or the battlefield was well, an offensive weapon the, the shoe would be essential in the advance of the army not to mention that a swift kick of a uh, a swift kick of one of these shoes with hobnails in the in the bottom of it probably would cause the enemy to 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 have a a, sus, a pretty substantial injury that he would have to recover from and if you think about an army with inadequate footwear that would be about as useful as a tank with a broken track or a humvee with flat tires it's not going to move very well. It's going to be very limited in its ability to move. Well, what are the consequences of being caught in the wrong shoes on a Roman battlefield? Um, while I'm confident that people in antiquity weren't quite as tenderfooted as modern man, think about the cost of a serious foot injury or even the debilitating effect of major blisters or those sort of things. It's not going to do anything positive for the soldier. I remember my grandmother telling me a story about her as a little girl growing up in the Great Depression, that she was in North Carolina, and little girls and little boys in the Great Depression didn't really know they were in the Great Depression, you know, they they did what little kids do, and my grandmother told the story of when she was a little girl, she was running through the yard barefoot, not because she loved to be barefoot, but because they couldn't afford shoes during that time, she wasn't really paying attention to where she was running, and before she realized it, she had ran into the freshly cut cornfield, and before she recognized what was happening, the stabs of the corn that had been cut off had pierced through both of her feet. And so my grandmother's a little girl had to, she screamed out for help and she told the story about how my, my great-grandmother managed to stop the bleeding and, and, and she almost bled to death as a result of, of this injury that she sustained. And that was in relatively modern times. Imagine what it would be like in, in, a, in a battle situation in the Roman times with a serious foot injury. Even in times like World War I, soldiers had to do battle with, with a terrible foot problem called trench foot. Trench foot was a result of the feet being constantly exposed to the muck and the mud and the mire of being in those trenches over in Europe. And, and frequently the treatment for something as serious as trench foot was a wonderful process called debridement, uh, which if you've had debridement done, that's where... I won't go into details of what it is because you're going to eat lunch in a little while, or amputation. That's how serious this, this was. So I can only imagine how catastrophic, how catastrophic even a miter foot injury could become in those days in the Roman world. And so why this illustration then for the Apostle Paul? I think the parallels are actually very compelling. You see, feet have long been associated with the gospel. Isaiah chapter 52, verse 7, we see this. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings the good news, who, who publishes peace, who brings good news of happiness, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, Your God reigns. You know, the feet throughout Scripture represent the agent of mobility. That's how people would get around. And when you stop and think about it, it was in an era where messages could only be transmitted via foot, Right? There wasn't another option. There wasn't a telegraph or a telegram. You couldn't send an email. There was no way that you could communicate clear and concise information except by foot. Even if you wrote a letter, the letter would still be carried on the feet of a mail carrier. Today, if we were to maybe bring this into the modern world, we might bring this in and say, how beautiful beautiful is the radio station that broadcasts good news, or, or, or how beautiful is the server that transmits good news as the gospel may be sent via, via some sort of electronic medium, or how beautiful is the printer that mass publishes Bibles or tracts or evangelistic literature. These are means, these are avenues by which the gospel is proclaimed and shared. How beautiful are these things? But in the Bible, we understand that feet are the means by which the message of the gospel, the message of good news, is transmitted. But in this sense, we're talking about a passive reception of the good news. We are thankful for those who bring the good news to us. Aren't you thankful for the person who shared the gospel with you? I mean, think about your life if no one had ever shared the gospel, if you had not been the recipient of that good news. That's passive, though. We, we are receiving something. How beautiful are the, on the mountains are the feet of those who bring to us the good news. In the New Testament, we find that there's a, a much more active calling. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus declared about himself... The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus comes not receiving a message. Jesus comes proclaiming a message. Jesus doesn't passively sit around. Jesus is here to declare something. There is a word to be shared. And Jesus says, God has sent me to proclaim this word. In the Great Commission, Jesus tells his church, go out into all the world and proclaim good news. There is an active calling on the church. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul tells Timothy, preach the word. And you can't open the book of Acts without seeing the movement of the gospel. From Philip, being sent into the desert. Why? Because there was a lost man out there in the desert who was reading the Bible, who was ready to receive the good news. To, to Paul being sent to Macedonia. Remember the dream? The Macedonian man came to Paul and said, We need some help. Come see us. And God, through the Spirit, moves Paul into Macedonia to preach to Philippi and Thessalonica. He preaches on Mars Hill in Athens. And lo and behold, he even preaches in Ephesus, the city that we've been talking about for the last year. You see, the gospel in the book of Acts became the equivalent of a first century YouTube video that's gone viral. It's being shared through every possible avenue. People are listening, people are clicking, people are watching. They are listening to this viral message that is being transmitted and communicated by the church. The feet of those early Christians were busy, and they were relentless. And so we see over and over and over again the church is called to be active and moving and declaring and proclaiming, never to be passive, never to be unconcerned, but always going forward with the good news of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So if I'm looking at this centurion's armor and I consider those tough leather hobnailed boots that he's wearing, really the only thing that makes sense is that these shoes represent the gospel. However, before Paul gets to the idea of the gospel, he specifically defines these shoes as being the shoes of readiness, which are given by the gospel of peace. Another wording is that they're the shoes of preparation. There is a sense of preparedness when it comes to to these shoes now now we understand this idea from a very practical standpoint maybe you've got a pair of shoes that you keep close to the bed that's not a bad idea if something happens in the middle of the night and you need to be able to get out of the house if your house catches on fire you'd want a pair of shoes on your feet if you had to go out to the yard it's not it's completely reasonable or if there was an intruder in your home there's a couple of things you're going to want quick access to right you're going to want to be able to take action. So we understand from just a very practical standpoint that, that shoes are necessary components for us being prepared. They tell you don't ever drive with your shoes off your feet because if you had an accident, you've got to be able to get out of the car and, and, and move away quickly. You don't want to have to be you know, tiptoeing around because your feet are on, on something you can't walk on. So we understand from just a preparedness standpoint that it's wise to, to have on good shoes. But we even understand it from a tactical standpoint. You heard about the two men who were camping out in bear country. As luck would have it, a big old grizzly bear came roaming into camp and started sniffing around and rooting around, and the men realized that there was a bear in the camp, and the next thing they know, the bear began to, to nose around their tent, and one man began to lace his boots up. And the other man said, why are you putting your shoes on? We need to get out of here. He says, he says besides, you're going to be able to outrun this bear. And the man says, well, I'm not trying to outrun the bear. I'm just trying to outrun you. So, so, so we understand, even from a tactical standpoint, that there's something to be said about having on the, the right pair of shoes. You see, we've been called to stand and face the battle, not in our strength, but in the strength of the Lord. And we are girded by truth. We are covered in the righteousness of Jesus. But we are prepared and we are ready. We are ready to go with the gospel. And just like these Roman combat boots had both defensive and offensive responsibilities, we find the gospel functions in exactly the same way. You see, these shoes of readiness are the means by which we stand firm. This is incredible. It doesn't matter what arrow Satan hurls at you. You only stand firm if you stand firm in the gospel. It doesn't matter. Whatever arrow he has to hurl at you, you only stand firm if you stand firm in the gospel. You don't stand firm on the basis of your own accomplishments, on the basis of your own abilities. You don't stand firm in your own righteousness. You don't stand firm in your own version of truth. You stand in your shoes of the gospel. And even when the whole world feels like it is going off the cliff, you dig your heels in because no one is going to move you through from the gospel. We stand firm in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Apostle Paul said it best in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it is God's power for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Men and women, we stand firm in the gospel or we don't stand firm at all. But secondly, these shoes of readiness are the means by which we advance. Some are content to see the church, maybe like the Alamo. Remember the Alamo? If you were from Texas, you remember the Alamo. You better. Remember the Alamo? Alamo, the mission, at, uh, the Alamo mission was the place where, where just a handful of, of Texans warded off the Mexican army until they were simply overwhelmed and every person in that Alamo died. There's a lot of churches today, and I pray that we aren't one of them, who are content to simply put a guard at the door and the windows. We're good. As long as we don't let darkness in here, we're okay. We'll let darkness reign out there but we're not going to let darkness in our mission here. Santa Ana's forces, which sounds a lot like Satan, Satan's forces may be running rampant and laying siege and, and, and destroying everything out there, but as long as we've got our fortress and our mission and we've got guards at the doors and guards at the windows and no darkness ever comes in here, we're okay. And there's a lot of churches that function that way. They're content to keep the darkness outside As long as light is on in the inside. But that's not what the shoes of readiness call us to do. Because these shoes that we are to put on compel us forward, they send us on the advance. They call us not to defend against darkness, but to roll back darkness, to push darkness away. That is the calling of the shoes of the gospel. Now, we certainly do so on a global scale, as Southern Baptists, you heard from David Platt, the president of our International Mission Board. I'm so excited to hear that we're sending missionaries again. There was a season where, where we couldn't afford it anymore. It would gotten too expensive, and they reorganized and restructured, and now we're sending missionaries again. And I'm so thankful that we are doing that again. And so we give this season to the Lottie Moon Offering to continue to support the largest missionary force in the world that we as Southern Baptists have. I'm thrilled to know that this morning, we've got people in some of the darkest corners of the planet preaching the gospel in places where if they were outed for preaching the gospel they'd surely be executed we i know for a fact have personnel working in refugee camps that are 15 miles from the front lines with the islamic state this is known see we don't but we don't get to subcontract out our fight to those who are vocationally called all of us Every last one of us who are called followers of Jesus, we are called and commanded to don the shoes of readiness. Every one of us. Because though we may not be 10 miles or 15 miles from the front lines with the Islamic State, we're all called to push back darkness in the places that we go, in the places that we work, in the places that we live. Every last one of us. And if you haven't figured it out, we don't push back darkness with clever arguments. It's not working. We don't push back darkness with our political powers and our political candidates and our legislative abilities and our legislative agendas. If you haven't figured that out, it's hard to legislate Christianity. But we do push back darkness with the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. I alluded to it early, earlier, but I need to know, are you ready? Got your shoes on? Paul told Timothy, preach the word, be ready in season and out of season, rebuke and exhort with complete patience and teaching, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching. Would you believe there's a time coming that people won't embrace the gospel? It's shocking, right? But they have itching ears, and they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions, and they will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, and he could be saying this to all of us always be sober minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Every last one of us. See, we're living in that day where there are itching ears everywhere. You don't have to flip very far on the television to find itching ears. And today there's plenty of messages that are eager to tickle those ears, eager to build a following of people who simply want their ears tickled. But guess what? That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. That's not what the gospel is. I love how our Advent devotion put this on, uh, on Friday. Christmas is an indictment before it becomes a delight. It will not have its intended effect until we feel desperately the need for a Savior. We celebrate Christmas, but Christmas is an indictment against us. Why did Jesus come? Because we are wicked, rebellious sinners, desperately in need of a Savior. And we, 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 when we look into the face of the Christ child, as precious and delightful as that is, we are looking into the face of our own condemnation. We are not perfect. We are not right, we are not good, because we need this to save us. The gospel doesn't tickle our ears. The gospel indicts us. Here's the good news. Once we plead guilty, well then, then we're prepared to go to the fight, wherever it's found. We've got to plead guilty. Guilty is charged, sinner, rebellious, enemy of God, guilty as charged, insufficient, inadequate, ill-equipped, but eager to be in a right relationship with my God through my Savior, Jesus Christ. And with that guilty plea, I can put on the truth, I can put on the righteousness, and I can go forth ready with the gospel to push back darkness wherever it may be found. Would you pray with me, please? God, thank you so much for the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, which delivers us from our sin, that sends us forth into the darkness to push it back, Lord. And it's not pushed back in in massive swaths of conversions. It's pushed back in one-on-one conversations, winning hearts and minds as we go. I love the wording of the Great Commission that, that isn't go into the world, but as you go into the world, make disciples. And so, Lord, as we go, May we be busy with our Father's business? Would We be proclaiming the gospel, not as, not as a, a great person who has a gift to give to the nations, but as a person who is ever indebted to what Christ did for me? The, the lost man tells us that it's a bunch of hypocrites that fill the church, and Lord, we own that. We own that. We are imperfect. Our self-righteousness is is terribly inadequate. Which is why I don't stand in my strength. But I stand in yours. And so God, help me to don the belt of truth where everything I do and think is based in truth. Help me, Lord, to to put on that breastplate of righteousness that's not my righteousness, but yours. And Lord, send me out to hold my ground to dig my heels in when everyone else goes in a direction that's wrong, that I would dig my heels in with the gospel. and That I would go out ready to push back darkness in the places that I go and serve and work and learn. May we be ready, prepared, eager to go to the battlefield and fight against those forces that are opposed to us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to have a time of invitation. If you'd like to come and pray, you're welcome to. I uh, want us to just be eager about what God's doing to use us and, and equip us to take the good news to the ends of the earth, wherever that may be. Some of you here, it may one day take you to the ends of the earth. For some, it's a big accomplishment to take us across the street. But may we go in the gospel wherever it is. Let's stand together and sing and respond as the Lord would lead. <clears throat> My Jesus side. To worship Jesus, Amen. Uh, pay attention to your bulletin. There's, uh, we're getting into that season where, where schedules and things like that begin to be tweaked a little bit for holiday celebrations and things. So, uh, so do pay attention to your bulletin and know what's going on therein. Uh, and again, hopefully you get get, uh, get signed up to be part of this Advent reading. It's been it's been a true blessing to uh, to share in some of the things that you guys have had to uh, had to talk about. So, uh, I believe that is all. I'm going to ask Mr. Drew Van Sant to come and dismiss us in prayer.
1: Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just thank you for this opportunity to come into your house, Lord. We just thank you for the the gift that you've given us that we can celebrate this season as we begin to focus on that. we also thank you for the sacrifice, Lord. We just thank you for everything you do for us and how you bless us as a church and the, the avenues you've created for us to reach out to our community, Lord. Let us ever be mindful of that. Thank you for the opportunities you provide for us. Let us make use of those this week as we go about our... The work that you have for us, just be with those who couldn't be with us today. Bring them back safely to us next week and all the many prayer requests. Just thank you for everything you do. Again, Lord, we, we love you and we thank you. In your name we pray. Amen.